Welcome to the Leadership Drives Podcast. Now here's your host, Mylena Sutton. Welcome to part two with Ryan Turner, Executive Director of Greenlight Baltimore. Let's pick up where we left off. So how did you come to work for Greenlight in particular? Like, did you go looking for them? Did they send for you? Like, how did you stumble across Greenlight? I didn't know what Greenlight was. Mm -hmm. Um, And I got an email from a funder of mine from a previous organization, who I won't name. Uh, But that funder uh, sent me an email and said, this came across my desk and I thought about you. And I looked at it and I said, oh, no, I can't do that job. Because uh, imposter syndrome immediately, immediately came in. What I had known uh, for years, even being executive director of nonprofits, was um, lack, not having, scratching and clawing, begging. And so that that was in my mindset, begging for dollars and these kinds of things. And this, this seemed to be, you know, an executive level position uh, that, you know, required, um, you know, someone who was, you know, highly connected and, you know, I had connections in the city um, and these kinds of things. There was still a level of intimidation there or it, it appeared that I needed to be connected with a certain caliber of people um, that I didn't believe myself to be connected with. Um, but again, I thought this work for me is spiritual. And so the first thing I did when I read the um, job description, I was like, Lord, better let me know what's up here. So I sat on it for two days and I prayed about it. Um, and I felt like, okay, green light, <laughs> you got the, you got the green light. Um, let's go for it. And so I applied for it. And, um, over 150 people, as I understand, um, applied for it. And it was a six month process. Six months. Can you tell us about this process? Like, what are you doing for six okay, months? Listen, by year, by month three, I said, do y'all want me or no? Check yes, no, or maybe. Okay, just let me I know. feel like you got hazed. It, it, it was a hazing process is what it felt like, completely. Um, I met with internal people, in the, you know, all through. and um, So it was an interesting, long process. Um, but ultimately... Glad that I got it. Indeed, indeed. I've grown a lot since I've um, become ED of Greenlight Fund. Um, There was a lot of imposter syndrome because quite frankly, we've got got a lot of um, white investors. um, And this was the first time that I've had to interface with so many well-to-do white folks um, and um, to be very honest, to be very raw, I felt small around them, you know, when I first, you know, got started. Um, and it was through my colleagues across the Green Light Network and having conversations with them, very authentic conversations with them, where I said, Ooh, you too? Mm-hmm. You too? And I think also that's the power of the network as well. Because we get real with one another. And it's like, 
Thank you for that. And it was through those very real kind of, you know, connections, conversations that my confidence began to grow and to grow and grow. And them affirming me, you know, and sharing authentically with me their experiences that I would that I've been able to grow and grow and grow. Um, and the Ryan that started um, is not the Ryan now. Indeed. So as you grow, did you undergo any sort of formal coaching or was it your own reflection and talking to your peers? What else helped you get over this imposter syndrome? It was a lot of reflection because even through trying to go on a journey, there was lots of shame that I felt imposter syndrome in the first place. Tell me about the shame. Shame of what? Shame of not being enough. My, my, my story is unorthodox. Okay. Like I... I started college at Hampton University back in like 2006. Um, I wasn't able to finish because I couldn't afford it. So I had to come home. I was like, oh, what am I doing with my life? And so I started my nonprofit. Um, and then I couldn't get any of my credits from Hampton because I owed a balance. And so I had to start over. So I got an associate's degree from University of Phoenix. Um, and then I transferred those credits over to Cop, uh, to Coppin State University here in Baltimore uh, and ultimately graduated from Coppin. But all of that made me feel like, I'm like, I should be a graduate of Hampton University. Mm-hmm. You know? Um, and, 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 I, and I had to work through that. You know, not being the image of what I thought my story would be. Mm-hmm. Is there a part of your story that perhaps at one point it was a source of shame, but now it is, I don't know if I want to say point of pride, but something that really strengthens how you do your work? It is the school story. Mm-hmm. That school story, I actually told it as a testimony at church. and. <laughs> When I finished, I started running around, you know, <laughs> um, because it was powerful because I felt so defeated at that point in life. Mm-hmm. I felt so defeated, like, wait, I thought I was smart and savvy and this is where I find myself. And now I can flip it and say, well, you were smart and you were savvy and this is where you find yourself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so I, I can reflect in this way, say hindsight is twenty twenty. I don't believe if none of that, I wouldn't be where I am if none of that happened. Because I, I would have been fine being in middle middle management, like mental health. My, my major was like psychology and then like sociology, whatever the case is. And so that was my trajectory, you know, clinical, mental health, something. I wouldn't have thought about it a COVID foundation. And then a COVID foundation got funded a quarter million dollars from an angel investor who saw a news story and called me. And I, the voicemail that I got, I thought the man was trying to kill me. <laughs> okay, I was like, who is trying to give me a donation? Like, what is this? Like, what? Mm-mm, I'm not giving you my address and all this. And I did, and he, he, okay, he sent the check and all that, and it checked out. Wow. wow. And, if, and, if, and if none of that happened, I wouldn't be where I am now. To that point, what do you think, starting your own nonprofit and then your journey up to this point, what do you think you learned boots on the ground that you wouldn't have learned in school in particular? If you had to say there was one gym or maybe a few. 
I think I mentioned it earlier, the people who are proximate to the issues have the solutions. If I would have just like stuck with the book smart piece, I would have been theorizing everything. Mm-hmm. Literally, well, the, well, you know, the, the scholar says, you know, this and, but being on the ground with the people on Pennsylvania, North Avenue, Hartford Road, on the east side of the city, up in Emerson Village, listening to, you know, the experiences, I wouldn't have gotten those experiences. It would have all been, for me, scholastic, scholastic, scholastic. And I would have missed an opportunity to connect with community that really feeds the values that I work with and feeds the the, the lens by which I look at this work now. Wow. Do you think many of your peers at Greenlight have that kind of connection to the community? No. Um, I think I think we I think we all have different lenses. Mm-hmm. I think we all have different lenses and ways that we look at the work. Um, yeah, it's different. In part, the reason that I asked the question is because one of the things I thought about when we agreed to talk um, is what does alignment look like when you have diverse experiences in diverse parts of the country? Yes. Like, how do you stay like, we are going to go this way? <laughs> and how do you get everybody to go that way? Mm-hmm. So how is that process of making sure that when leadership speaks, that you all hear enough common stuff so that you all are pretty much on the same page? One of the things I've always said, um, even in starting at Greenlight, was that I am, yes, a part of a network and um, I hold true the individuality of Baltimore. Mm-hmm. And so I understand that, you know, Greenlight Baltimore is a part of Greenlight Fund, the organization. Um, however, each of our cities, uh, Atlanta, Philly, Jersey, Boston, Bay Area, Detroit, Twin Cities and, and the like, we all have our own special fingerprint. And I think it's important that we stay true to our fingerprint. And one of the things that I will always double down on is being true to Baltimore. Mm-hmm being true to the needs of the city, being true to the needs that we have, and then sharing that in the network. If folks pick it up, they pick it up. If they don't, I'll continue to do what I need to do here. Good deal. How often do you, um, does the whole network get together or do you? Mm-hmm. So we get together uh, as an entire staff once a year, as a leadership team, twice a year and then the management team gets together twice a year as well and we have certain like in-network meetings um and all so we see each other a lot virtually in person is when we really have the opportunity to you know connect build relationship lean in to try to understand but it's challenging Mm -hmm. in a um you know dispersed network Mm -hmm. to really lean in um because it takes time to trust folks. Mm-hmm. It takes time to, you know, understand who people are. Um, and so those are some of the things that, you know, I think are, you know, important to, to work through and challenging for a distributed network. Yeah, because when I think of a distributed network, I don't know how 
just in terms of the mechanics of it, I just feel like it would be so much to kind of wrangle. And in particular, when I think of, I don't know how you all are structured, but when I'm thinking of, you have this network that's everywhere, and who? how does the leadership work with respect to oversight and maintaining connections? Mm-hmm. I'm just thinking that's got to be an interesting navigation of relationships. Yeah, one of the things that, um, you know, that they tried to do, you know, recently, and I think they've done a, a, a decent job at is like looking at our infrastructural needs in terms of personnel and how the organization is growing. And so if this is what we're saying we want to be, we want to be, you know, more of this institutional organization and growing from, you know, this uh, startup, you know, kind of a phase. What then do we need? You know, what personnel do we need? And so I think we brought on um, like a chief of staff and, you know, an official kind of HR department, these kinds of things to really address um, you know, the growth, because Greenlight grows, is growing, mm-hmm. is going to keep on growing. Um, and it's important that we have the, you know, just like the infrastructure to, to support that growth. Do you have a team? I do. How many people? Two. Good deal. Good deal. Mm-hmm. And I love them. <laughs> oh, I love them. I love them. I have two. I have have a program associate and I have a coordinator. And each of them works on uh, different sides of the work with me. Mm-hmm. So when you all have conflict, what are the three of y'all fighting about? You know what's crazy? It may not be crazy. We don't really have conflict. That might sound pine and sky, it might sound like I'm not telling the truth, right? But what's important work culture is important to me mm-hmm. and I've been in some jacked up places where I wanted to wring my supervisor's neck mm-hmm. I worked in one place I got sick every time I walked in there mm-hmm. and so I said if I'm in a position of leadership I don't want to put my staff through that the way that I do that is I center their humanity that is my that I double down on that. Give me an example of centering your humanity. Yep. Um, so, without revealing too much, um, I have one that you know has particular um, challenges, um, and there was one day in which she was having a challenge, and I paused the meeting. I said, "One second, let's take a beat." I said, how are you? And it was in that moment, it was like, whoa, mm-hmm. I was trying to keep it together because we are at work. But we bring our entire selves to work. And often we are asked to negotiate who we are to function in the spaces that we function. But if I'm asking you to, you know, deliver this and deliver that, deliver this, but these parts are still a part of you. Mm-hmm. Mm-mm. We can lean in here. Mm-hmm. How can I be supportive? Mm-hmm. And so it's not because we're not different that we don't have conflict. It's that I try to lean into humanity okay. and to think about that. 
You know, it's funny that you you talk about the dealing with it because I say what we do, we ignore what we see in terms of body language, mm-hmm. tone of voice. If you pay attention to people, even subtle differences, you can pick up when something is wrong. Yes. So, but we ignore what we see, oh, yeah, only to deal with what we can clearly see. Oh yeah, and we don't check on people. Oh yeah, I think I make people uncomfortable because I'm so straightforward. Mm-hmm. I think that folks, uh, you know, sometimes folks are like, all right, right, yeah, but. We, we can't ignore it. Mm-hmm. It's not going anywhere. Mm-hmm. So we may as well address it. Do you think your team sees you the way you see yourself? Like he's very approachable, straightforward. We're going to talk about it. I think so. We recently had a 360. Okay. I hope they would. I mean, let's send this to him. Let's ask. Okay, send him a poll. I don't know. <laughs> but we, had, we had a 360. I'm like, well, you know, maybe you're saying this because you want to raise or something like that. You know, <laughs> you know please, what? you know. Um, but but I but I just I, I I just try to be authentic in that in that way, even in my own growing, I'm like, they are very special to me, and they you know um, are in the, have their own kind of career and professional goals, um, and I just try to support that. So maybe they might say that. The reason that I ask that I often think because of the power dynamic. No matter how cool we are, we can't forget that. Oh yeah. And I think sometimes. Um, it's easy, if particularly if you have good interpersonal relationships mm-hmm. with somebody, to forget that. Like literally, as you were talking, I was thinking, you know what? I'm going to have somebody reach out to a couple of people on my team because, mm-hmm. as an HR leadership person, I do other people's three sixty. <laughs> I'm like, I never had to do one on me. <laughs> but to your point, to make it safe and to solicit that feedback, um, because all too often, I don't. I take what I do as a calling in terms of looking at organization culture, because if you think about how much time you spend at work, mm-hmm. on the device about work, driving to work, That's right. even buying clothes for work, mm-hmm. work takes up a lot of space. A lot of space. And if you're unhappy at work, you're That's unhappy right. at in life. That's right. And I think as leaders, we have an obligation to create better spaces for our people to work. Malina, you said it right, because literally that... What you just said is what I've said to them before. We spend like maybe 75% of our time working. Mm-hmm. And I don't believe that it's anybody's right to make life any more challenging than what it already is. Now, this work is challenging. So we're not going to, you know, we, we put that into perspective, right? Mm-hmm. So there's going to be challenge in that way. But in terms of like making somebody's life miserable, just to... No, we're not doing that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. When you think about your time here at Greenlight, what is a mistake, if you can think of one, that you were, if not, if you made it, were you able to course correct or you made it and you learned a very important lesson from it? I'm thinking about the more challenging side of my work and the more challenging side of my work has been not the programmatic side of the work, but the developmental side or the development side of the work. And that is in terms of working with our investors. Um, and I think that one of the largest mistakes that I've made um, in that side of the work goes back to a little bit of what we were talking about earlier, not being myself in those meetings. Um, and the reason why I see it as a mistake is because I see that I feel that I dishonored myself in those spaces and presented something that I felt that they would want to see and would be acceptable to them. 
And so that is something that recently I've just been working to deconstruct and, and get rid of. Indeed, indeed. On the opposite end of that question, what is something that you did or that you've done rather that you go, I am so glad I did that? My first investment. Point mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> source you I I am I, Oh my goodness. I'm excited about point source you. And it's because of the centering of, of people's voices. Mm-hmm. It one of the things that we have been ride or die about is like is listening to the people of Baltimore. Mm-hmm. Listening and really addressing the challenges that have been articulated. And I feel like Point Source will do such an outstanding job of supporting the young people that will be a part of that intervention. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm excited. Indeed, indeed. Yeah. I actually saw your eyes light up for a minute there. I was like, are we going to see some stars? Okay, what are we doing? listen. What are we doing? Yeah, it's a thing. It's a thing. Um, since you uh, have come back to Point Source, though, just a technical question. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you will be working with them? So are you simply just funding or you checking in with them programmatically? How does that part work? Oh, yeah. So um, our support goes beyond our funding. Uh, one of the things I think that makes us unique um, is that we leverage our local relationships um, to make sure that what we refer to um they are my portfolio organization. So we make sure our portfolio organizations um, are connected to the right people in the city, the right funders, if they need to be connected to you know, political folks and all, uh, that they have those kinds of uh, people resources uh, needed to make their um, work easy and their transition easy into the city. And so I've been focused on that for the past couple of months is just making sure that they are talking to the right folks and that the right funders are in their corner to make sure that their work is sustainable. Awesome. Mm-hmm. So talk about really setting somebody up for success. Now, when you brought in um, the organization, do you do anything like making sure that they have coaching services available or is it just programmatic kinds of services? Yes. Yeah, so it's more programmatic Um and when, co- when you say coaching, what do you mean coaching? Like for the leadership team of that particular organization. Oh. Because sometimes, you know, they might need some help and some growth. I mean, yeah. No, that is true. One of the things that I think that, well, the Greenlight is implementing or expanding out is our learning function. Okay. And I think we're having conversations around how we might be able to bolster not only our learnings internally, but how we might be able to share learnings with our portfolio organizations. There's a system I think that we're about to adopt soon um, that not only we'll be able to use, but we'll be able to share with the organizations that we invest in um, so that they are consistently, you know, learning and growing um, and those kinds of things. Speaking of that, what do you do for your own professional development? Um, Aside from the network that you're part of when you all talk, how do you make sure your edge is razor sharp? So I made one of the best professional decisions, I think, in my life. Last year, I went through a leadership program called Leadership Baltimore. Mm -hmm. Um, And it got me connected to so many dynamic professionals and that also intimidated me. I was like, why am I here? Mm-hmm. Um, CEOs and all, everybody, you know. Um, but that was, that that opened new doors um, for me. And so I often just kind of like, now I'm like seeking out, you know, what conference can I go to uh, that's, you know, like relevant to the work that we're doing um, and these kinds of things. So I look at Ad Fee. Um, we've been looking at uh, uh, 
Aspen, uh, Congressional Black Caucus, like these kinds of things. Mm -hmm. One question I forgot to ask you I want to come back to. You said you started your own nonprofit. What was the focus? Ah! <laughs> well, when I first started it, it was everything. Uh, <laughs> I wanted to do it all. I was like, let's do everything. Everything. Um, and then we started to look at the symptoms of poverty in urban communities. Um, and then we, what, what we came up on was like education. And I was not an education major, didn't focus on it at all. But again, this work for me is spiritual, so it's downloaded. Mm -hmm. um, and so we realized, wow, literacy is a major problem. Like children being able to read proficiently by the end of the third grade is a major problem. So I ended up writing this program uh, called Reading Rhythm in the Arts. Mm -hmm. And it was an after-school arts integrated literacy program that made sure that kids were able to read on or above grade level by the time they finished the third grade. I didn't know nothing about teaching people how to read, um, but I, you know, but I, but I, but I researched and all, and I felt that strongly. Mm -hmm. And we did that for about seven years at wow. two schools in West Baltimore. Wow. Worked with about 122 kids. Wow. Yeah. Good deal. Good deal. That is funny. He said it started off with everything. <laughs> started, we did. I was like, let's put our cape on. I just want to solve every challenge. We did parent workshops. We did back to school rallies, community cleanups book distributions, food distributions to the poor, I mean, to the homeless um, and all, like it was, it was everything. Mm -hmm. When you think about how you got to this place in your life, was there a defining moment in your life as a young person, um, a particular experience with your family that made you just so committed to the centering of human need? So this is when I get like all spiritual and deep. Go spiritual, so, go deep. My mother is like the greatest, I don't get emotional. <laughs> my mother is like the greatest asset to my life. And um, I think that one of the best things that she did for me was introduce me to Jesus Christ. Um, because that has been like the driving force. Now, I don't beat Jesus over the head with people, you know, that I, I don't do that at all. Um, I even have my own recommended journey for that, but that's another podcast. Maybe. <laughs> um, but I just try to be, I just try to be an example of what it means to treat people right. And, 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 and create space for folks to live with dignity. My mother would social worker and so I saw her serving through work being kind of being in those spaces and serving at church and all but I, and I, but I always felt this burden on my shoulders and I can't explain it to just support people and to be there for people when no one else will now, that's caused me to have to put some boundaries up here lately, you know, mm -hmm. because folks have a certain expectation that you always be there. Mm -hmm. When we were talking about our cup being full. Mm -hmm. So now I understand that my cup needs to be full and running over uh, while recognizing that, yes, my calling is to be there for people. Um, but it's, all, it's just always been there. Thank you. If there was one area where you felt like you need to grow and develop as a person. What's that one area? Fully understanding Ryan. Mm -hmm. Langston Hughes has a poem that says, we wear the mask, mm -hmm. and, and I won't mess that up either, so I won't <laughs> even finish it, okay? <laughs> but I think that also in doing this work and in just in living, 
uh, for many reasons, um, I've worn a mask. Um, appeasing people, pleasing people. And so I've done some work over the past few years of deconstructing that person to really go on a journey to understand who am I? What are my likes? What are my dislikes? What do I stand for? What do I dissent against? Um, that's the journey that I'm on to improve me. Indeed. Thank you for your time. Thank you. I have enjoyed it. This is great. Thank you for listening to the Leadership Drives podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please rate and subscribe, share with your family and friends, and be sure to tune in to the next episode of the Leadership Drives.